Okay, well, I'm going to be speaking to you in the last of our series on, on shame. And I'm just going to take a straw poll. How many people here think shame is a bad thing? Put your hand up if you, if you do. Shame's a bad thing. Got lots of you think it's a bad thing. Anyone think it's a good thing? Put your hand up. Okay, if I said to you, Rachel Riddle is a shameless woman. Is that a compliment? Is that a compliment? No. Honestly, shame isn't just a negative thing, is it? There's something about shame which can alert our moral compass to things that are wrong. Has anyone ever said to you, you should be ashamed of yourself? Yeah? How many of you agreed with them? I mean, from time to time, shame has been very helpful in my life and very necessary to awaken me from a bit of complacency, from a bit of a kind of callous heart, from a bit of a place where I'd accepted things about myself and my lifestyle or my conversation or whatever it was that actually, when I rubbed up against someone else who, who was um, just had a different standard, it made me see myself in that light. But when I encountered the presence of God, it made me think, oh, I feel ashamed. I feel ashamed of the way I manipulated that situation. I feel ashamed of the thing I said about that person. And, um, yeah, it's in the light that we know that we're grubby. I mean, honestly, it is, isn't it? And, um, and when, the, when the light comes and we feel grubby, there are two options, really. You can either get into the shadows or you can get yourself clean. And those tend to be the options that we pursue when we're dealing with shame. We can either get back in the darkness. Men love the darkness because their deeds were evil, the Bible says. You know? Or we can say, I, I really need to get clean. How do I do that? And in our series on shame, we kind of wanted to explore those ideas. I think, how do we really get not just shameless in a callous, hard-hearted way, but shame-free? Because we know where the roots of our shame have come from and how they've been dealt with. So I'm going to read you a quote. It's from a man called Richard Lovelace. This was a book written in the 1980s, early 1980s, The Dynamics of Christian Life. And it, it says this. If I was better prepared, there would be on a PowerPoint and you'd follow it with me. But I am not better prepared, so sorry. It has often been said today that we must love ourselves before we can be set free to love others. This is certainly the release which we must seek to give to people. But no realistic human being finds it easy to love or to forgive themselves. Hence, their self-acceptance must be grounded in their awareness that God accepts them in Christ. There's a sense that the strongest self-love that we have, in the sense of agape, is merely the mirror image of the lively conviction we have that God loves us. It's dealing with attention, isn't it? If I'm going to be healthy, if I'm going to function well in life, I need to be able to love myself. But if I'm going to be realistic and look at myself, I see lots of unloveliness in me. How do I handle that? We don't want to be so callous and careless about our human brokenness that we're not bothered by it. But we don't want to be so encumbered by shame that we're dysfunctional, that we lack confidence, that we, we, we're, we're living a shadow life instead of a whole, full, abundant life. 
So that's where we're going to come into line today. So, as I already said, last week our topic was called hiding. How many people feel that when you have done something wrong or when you're ashamed, that God is a long way off? Anyone ever felt that experience? So what's going on there? Does, does, does God hide himself from you? Is that what goes on? Or do you hide yourself from God? I mean, sometimes we can feel that our sins have made a separation between us and God, and God withdraws. You know, I can't bear to look at you. Uh, I, can't, you know, I can't share my holiness, but I, I, I withdraw from you. But it may be more likely that we withdraw from God. I mean, I see that reflex of withdrawal all the time in human nature, in human relationships. When people feel hurt, when people feel shame, they, they back off, they hide. And in the Bible, we see a God who comes looking for those who are ashamed. Last week, we looked in Genesis 3 at the story of Adam and Eve. And when Adam and Eve felt and realized that they were naked and they were ashamed and they'd broken their word, they hid. And God came looking for them and said, where are you, Adam? In the New Testament, Jesus tells some parables he tells a story about a shepherd. He says, there's a lost sheep. He goes looking for the lost sheep. He tells a story about a lost son. and says that um, when the prodigal son was still far off, the father saw him and ran to meet him. The son who had shamed the family, the son who had done things of which he was shamed, the son who felt he was in an unclean, messy place, in the pigsty, with the unclean animals. The best I can hope for is to be treated like a hired servant, the father comes running and puts a clean robe around him and goes to meet him. Jesus describes himself as the son of man who came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus spent his time with people who felt they were sinful, who were outcasts. He touched them, he ate with them. He was called a friend of sinners, you know, a companion of gluttons and winebibbers. The prostitutes felt safe with Jesus. People who were lepers and outcasts felt Jesus might touch me. No one else is going to touch me, but Jesus might. God is the missionary God who reaches out because he is a saviour God. So is it us hiding from God or God hiding from us? I think it's often us hiding from God. And we need to change. And the change comes because we understand and believe there's no point in hiding from God because he sees us clearly and he already knows all about us. And we can um, bring our, our shame to him. One of the Psalms that we've been looking at over this little course is um, Psalm 139. It's one of my favorite Psalms. And um, it's a Psalm that starts like this. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know where I sit, where I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. And he goes on to say, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. He says, if I, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your right hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. 
I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine on the day. And I, I wonder whether the psalmist was starting off finding God's knowledge of him a little bit irksome, a little bit awkward, that he actually would, would, would prefer to be a bit hidden. That may be where he begins, but that's not where he ends. The psalm ends with an invitation to God to search him. It says this, Search me and know me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in ways everlasting. God, I think you know me, but I'm inviting you to know me. Look at me and show me myself in the light of your knowledge of me. You know, one of the ways we protect ourselves from shame is by having a kind of fancy self that's better than the real self, more glamorous, more intelligent, you know, more cool. Have you had those, those, those key selves that you, you know, and, and we, can, we can make little myths, tell little stories about ourselves, at least in our head, because I'm, I'm really cool. I'm a rock star, really. I'm a fantastic sports person, or whatever it is, you know. The path of freedom from shame is to know ourselves as we really are in the light of God's knowledge of us. And it will be a mixture. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis, who, this is from the book The Magician's Nephew. It's one of the Narnia stories. And in, in that story, that, um, Aslan, who represents Christ, has kind of sung and whirled into, into being. But there's a couple of humans there who've come from our world. There's a cabbie and his wife. And... Um, C.S. Lewis writes this. You come of the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve, said Aslan, and that is both honour enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor on earth. Be content. Self-knowledge. We're glorious, but we're glorious ruins. We're like Tintin Abbey, you know? It was, you can see the this glorious, isn't it? It's a ruin. And human beings are a little bit like that. We trail clouds of glory, and yet there's so much shame and brokenness in our lives too. And the more self-aware and self-conscious we are, the more debilitating that self-conscious shame can be. And the point here is, okay, you're human, you are broken, but that's not the whole truth about you. You are also a child of God made in his image. And, and, and shame and pride often go hand in hand together. If I was truly humble, I would not be as embarrassed as I really am about my shame. If I was truly humble, or, you know, if I really don't, have that assertive sense of, well, actually shouldn't be treated like that. I, I'd, I'd be content with being kicked around by life. But the fact that I, 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 I've sensed somehow that I'm meant for more than this means I have a complex relationship with shame because I also have uh, an indignation and anger about those who humiliate and shame me. And that includes myself. I can have an angry relationship with myself who humiliates and shames me. And we live in a culture which does want to shame people, don't we? I mean, the, the 21st century, particularly the social media world, is, is where shame is put on you and it sticks. There's a, a real difference between a shame culture and a guilt culture. In a guilt culture, 
we confess our guilt and we're forgiven. In a shame culture, we are just, that's who you are. And you'll never change. And that will stick with you forever. And it's something you said, something you did, it's on the internet for the rest of your life. And, you know, and, and, and there's no hiding place. Actually, we want to hide from shame, but we can't. There's nowhere to hide. And, and for many people, shame is something that um, is deep and prevalent. I felt this morning, actually, during our 8 o'clock service that I was preaching there, and I just got a little picture in my mind of um, someone's hand with a thorn in it. And I felt God say, that's what that shame's like for that person. It's there all the time. And every now and then something irritates and aggravates it, and it's painful. And I need to get rid of it. I need to extract it. And it's going to be more painful extracting it than the pain that they feel carrying it. But once it's out, it'll be out for good. And that's part of what the wholeness course does, actually. It invites us to let God take out the thorns. Let's take out the... the and it may be painful going there with those memories, those reactions, sometimes those confessions. But once it's out, it's out. And we can heal up. And the pain's gone. And I want to encourage us to, to, to say, say to God, yes, please, like the psalmist, will you show me myself as I really am? I don't want to pretend. I don't want to hide. I don't want to live in a fancy world. Um, in January, the Woodlands uh, core team went away to um, a little cottage in Wales. Well, a very large cottage, actually. 26-bed cottage in Wales. <laughs> and um, we just had an overnighter there. And one of the things we did was we, we, we just wanted to talk about ourselves in the light of God's knowledge of us. And one, one thing I did, I just kind of wrote a little sheet of, 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 of things about myself, just very quickly, the, the paradoxes, of what, what, who am I? Who am I in the light of God's knowledge of me? And uh, I can kind of think of the best version of me, and there's some truth in it, but there's also a bad version of, of, of that, you know? And, and I wrote some of those things down, like, for instance, I'm hardworking, but I'm also lazy. I really am. And though I put the hours in, you know, things come intuitively to me. I can do things that are, are easy. But I'm not really very good at grafting at the things that aren't intuitive for me. Um, and um, someone said to me this week, here's another one for you, David. You're, you're brave and you're fearful. No one's proud of being fearful, are they? I mean, we have a, a, a courageous side. But I've got a fearful side as well. There's times when I'll take risks for God and times when I'll back off and, and, and run away from things or not face things that I should do. And, and actually, I need to know that about myself and know that God knows it. You know, God knows people. Jesus knew what was in people's heart. Here's Peter. Peter wanted to believe the best version of himself that he could be. I'll never leave you. We'll die with you, Jesus. I'll never deny you. Jesus knew him and said, before the cock crows three times, you'll have denied me thrice. Jesus knew Peter and it's Jesus that restores Peter from that threefold denial. Do you love me, Peter? Says at the end of John, three times. I know that you love me, and I know that you're weak, and you need me, and you need to live your life out of my mercy, not out of your competencies, out of your out of God's mercy. And, and I think I do know myself quite well, you know. And I think that. Um, Here's another paradox. You see, I, 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 I know my, I think I know quite a lot of my failures and limitations. But I also accept myself because Jesus Christ 
has covered my sin. When Jesus died on the cross, it was a shameful death. It was a death that was designed to shame people. It preceded humiliation and weakness, flogging, nakedness, insults, criminality, the death of a slave, hang on the cross, exposed, to be laughed at, to be mocked, humiliated, you're weak, get down, get down from the cross. You said you could save people, come and save yourself, get down. It's the mockery of humans and the mockery of Satan that Jesus experienced on the cross, the shame, the exposure. And Jesus offers us, instead of our shame, he takes it and offers us his sonship, his relationship with God, where you can call God Father. He offers it to us. He offers us his robes and takes our nakedness. Royal robes I don't deserve. He offers this to us. And as I look around the, the congregation here today, and as I, you join me online as well, God knows you. He knows the things about yourself that you know are your most honest. And he does not condemn you. He doesn't want you to hide from him. But he wants you to allow him to search you, to touch you, to heal you, and for you to live in the light of that clarity. No shame, not because you're shameless and callous, but because you're shame-free, because you've had a bigger vision of Jesus, and your eyes aren't on yourself anymore, but on him, the freedom of self-forgetfulness. And it's not about you anymore, it's about him. It's not about your achievements, it's about him. It's about his grace at work in you. And one of the things about the New Testament church and the New Testament leaders is they're transparent about their failures. You know, it's a dreadful thing to put someone on a pedestal because a pedestal is just somewhere where you can fall, fall from. And we've had plenty of stories of the great Christian leaders of our generation who've been on a pedestal and fallen off it. And the shame over their lives is such that will they ever be in ministry again? We might think. But Paul had plenty of shame. He was in, he was minister. Peter had shame. He's in ministry. There's no, you know, no mystique about those guys. Because Jesus has paid for them and knows them and wants to restore them. And I can say, I am a clay pot, but I carry treasure. And I am not living out of my past, but I am living out of my future. And the reality is for each of us that would come to God with our shame, that God is committed to helping us become new creations, to become the people we've always meant to be, and to be living out of a future hope rather than the past despair. Even for Adam and Eve, there's a future hope for them. And for us, the future is shining like stars. And our sins remembered no more. And our shame taken away. Now, we have two, two shame agents in our life. First, the first shame agent, well, maybe more than that, but the shame agent of me. I shame myself. I beat myself up. I speak into my own life and say, you, you're rubbish, you're worthless. 
Then I've got the shame of the culture, the comparison trap. I'm comparing myself with those other bright, shiny individuals who I see on Facebook and think I could never live up to that. And if they really knew what I was like, they would not accept me. And I've got the shame that comes from the accuser, the enemy. That is the voice of Satan himself. The word Satan means accuser. And, and the Bible is full of pictures of a, a critical, negative voice that we can tune into. And I, I love the, 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 the phrase in Zechariah where the prophet sees um, Joshua the high priest standing before God and Satan is there at his right hand to accuse him. And the prophet's words are, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Is not this man a brand plucked from the burning, someone rescued? And he's given clean clothes to wear, you know? And, and that's how it is for us. The Lord says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Accuser, accusation. Let's use that word. Satan might not be a word you're happy to, to use, but accusation. The Lord rebuke, accusation. So I, I'm going to take a chance to pray as we come into land. There's no doubt that many people in this room will be carrying shame today. Not just things you've said or done, but things that you feel about yourself. This is who I am, and, um, and I can't really accept myself. But God says, I've already seen you, and I came for you, and I'm here today. And we, we want to open up the Holy Spirit, so let's take a moment to just have a quiet thought. And if you've resonated with uh, what I've said and you think, I want to let God deal with that thorn in my flesh. I want God to take my shame away. I want to say to him, search me and know me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in ways everlasting. I am actually going to ask you to be brave enough to stand right now. So if that's you, if you resonate with that, please do stand. So I'm going to pray for you. mercy on us, O oh Lord. Ask for your mercy to rest on my brothers and sisters who are standing today. And in the name of Jesus, I speak to shame, I speak to the accuser, I speak to the past thoughts and the present sense of self. I speak to the self-hatred and the, the shadow life. In Jesus' name, let go. In Jesus' name, be gone. And instead, Lord God, will you clothe these men and women with your royal robes? Will you remind them 
that they're already known and loved. Let your spirit rest on them, Jesus. Put a new song in their heart. I'm loved, I'm accepted. Who is it that condemns you? Neither do I condemn you. If God is for me, who can be against me? That's God's word to you. If God is for me, who can be against me? God is for you today. And we speak the blessing of God into your lives in the name of Jesus. That you might walk in freedom as children of the living God. Amen.